0: Founders, welcome back to the Zero to Five Thousand podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, my friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Nick Stice, the CEO of Tech Nine. A fast growing company that is all about happy tech. From a background in engineering from BYU to working at Symantec and Orange Soda as a software engineer, Nick took the leap and got in on the ground floor of a tech company and none other than Tech9, which made this year's Inc. 5000 list and ranked as the 24th fastest growing company in Utah. Tech9 employs over 100 top tier software developers from the United States, Eastern Europe, Central America, and India and prides itself on building a company that creates cloud nine level happiness for all. Tech Nine has been set on creating a software development company that builds the right thing the right way. A place where customers are heard, understood, and ends up with products that are exactly what they are looking for. Here to share his journey is Nick Stice. So Nick, thank you for being here today.
1: Yeah, pleasure, thanks for having me, Drew. Awesome,
0: buddy. Well, we took our stab at understanding your origin story, but in your own words, how you get involved with this?
1: Yeah, that's great. No, I love that. I love what you put together there. Um, yeah, that I think in a nutshell, that really kind of puts it together. We, um, you know, I've been an engineer pretty much my whole career up until the, the point we started tech nine. And, uh, um, the, the thing that kind of, I, I, I never set out to be an entrepreneur. You know, my, my parents had done, uh, some that started some business when I was growing up and, and, uh, None of them were particularly positive experiences for our family, so <laughs> there were lots of learnings. We'll say that, um, and so you know, it was it was fine with me to uh, to not delve into that world. But while I was working at Orange Soda, uh, which was a digital marketing company here in Utah that uh, uh, grew, grew quite large, it was early on, you know, in the whole digital marketing world. Um, the founders there uh, they did a great job of just instilling this entrepreneurial spirit into everyone that worked for, for orange soda. And so slowly over time, I started finding myself thinking about, well, you know, what would I do if I, if I had my own business, what would I do? And, and, and naturally my mind went to engineering, engineering, you know, related things. Um, And uh, the problem really that tipped it over for, for me was we, we, you know, being an engineering and engineering leadership, we were always pushed to find external help you know, whether it was temporary or long-term and also always pushed to figure out ways to save money. And so that, that led us to outsource a lot. And um, it was hard to find a good outsourcing partner. You know, there was there were there were lots of them. And um, naturally, you know, the, the first place a lot of people go look is in India because of the value there. Um, and, and we found ourselves working with quite a few teams in India through different vendors. And um, we, while at Orange Soda, we kind of struck gold with this one team. We had four teams with uh, the partner we were working with and we had this one team that was just killing it. And we, we really isolated it down to the team lead. He was fantastic, You know, had, had, had great previous experience. I think he had about 10 years of total experience. And so we had three other teams with this, with this partner and we, we went to him, we said, hey, listen, this team here is killing it. These three other teams, let's go find a guy like the team lead on this team for all those three other teams. And um, the, the partner came back and they're like, okay, well, you know, that guy's really expensive and we were paying a blended rate, you know, like a lot of the outsourcing companies do. Uh, so you'd have to pay more for him. And we're like, that's fine. That's fine. It's totally worth it to us. Go find a real seasoned person who loves to code and, and let's put them on, let's go find three more of them. About two weeks, two weeks later, they came back and they said, we we can't do it. Like, it's just, you, you got one, you know, that that's about how we work. And, uh, and it upset me, and I realized that that was it. I was like, "No, there's no way they can't find more. Like, there's got to be a way." And so, from that day, really, the, the whole idea behind Tech9 and what we could do in the market, um, and we we had reached out to some other uh, firms that you know, and kind of gotten the same answer. And what I learned later is all of the money is really made in. The people who have about three to four three to four, three to five years of experience. That's where you make your highest margins. And so that's why they couldn't supply it, is because even though they gave us that really good guy, that really good engineer at the higher price, they weren't making the same margins as they were making on the other team members. And so, as you know, as we started brainstorming the idea, it was me and some of the other engineering managers, you know, leadership at Orange Soda, um, you know, we kind of saw we got acquired and things were going in a certain direction. And we kind of saw that, you know, there was going to be a chance for us to exit and maybe this opportunity for us to, you know, start something ourselves. And so that, that was really the basis behind it is like, let's go build the outsource software company that we wish existed and, and that we would have loved to work with and build the teams the right way. Um, and not and not be so driven about the margin, but really be driven around long term success and long term partnerships. Um, and so, you know, it it took a while. My wife and kids were actually in New Zealand. They had they'd gone there. Her sister lives out in New Zealand, and and uh, I called her one day and I said I quit my job. And uh, and we we had had some discussions, so she knew this was in, interest of mine. Okay, good. Uh, and <laughs> the the funny thing was is there were other opportunities. The previous five years for me to break off and, and you know be a founder of a company and she had been vehemently opposed to all those just like no no and i told her that over the phone figuring that i was gonna get it and she was like yeah this makes sense and fully supportive and um you know i don't i don't i didn't have any idea what i was getting into at that point you know i couldn't tell you honestly right now that i had any idea but um yeah from that day that's really was the mission was uh, high quality, build teams the way we would build them as engineering leadership, you know, as engineering managers, um, and provide those to people who need, you know, that output. And, um, you know, learned a lot along the way, but but that that, that was enough to get us started. And, um, and, and then the next thing was like, all right, now we got to go sell it. <laughs> and that was really comical, I'm sure, from somebody on the outside looking in, because there was, there were four founders at the beginning, and we were all engineers. Well, three of us were engineers, and one was a technical project manager. And um, none of us had a background or any experience in sales or marketing. So, uh, But yeah, that's kind of the uh, genesis story there uh, around Tech 9 and And, you know, s- s- haven't regretted it a single day since then.
0: That's amazing. Um, so I've got a few questions. I definitely am going to get to, in a second, how did you learn to go sell it? Because that is... <laughs> That is so, so close to my story where my, my co-founder and I are, we have a trade and the trade is knowing how to coach, knowing how to, you know, lead an individual or a team or create a change. We didn't know how to go sell. That's like a different skill. Oh, totally. So when we had to like sell our services or try to scale by actually getting beyond organic growth we were like, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> like, That's just, once you hire yeah, me, I, can... I know what I'm doing, but I don't know how to have that conversation and what you're wanting to see. And uh, so we'll get to that because I want to back up. You said that the company you were with instilled in you an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. That just caught my my attention. Like, what do you think they were doing that did that?
1: So uh, the founders of Orange Soda were Jay Bean, Chris Finken, and Derek Miner. And, and maybe you've had a chance to interact with one of those guys They're serial entrepreneurs um uh and so the there was a lot of trust given you know especially on the engineering side i i joined the engineering team and we went through ups and downs but those those three were always super supportive and and um i think it was like the optimism that they had you know as 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 i grew you know up the ladder at orange soda and got to the point where i was on the executive team like there were some moments where it's like whoa what's going on and, and the optimism, like they they were calm collective. It was just, it was just like that, that was part of it, but they also just trusted people to do their work and, and, but expected them to do it right as well. Um, and so, um, I think that that was a big piece of it is like, Oh, you know, I, I do have, I always thought I didn't have the right temperament or the right, you know, type of personality to be an entrepreneur, because oftentimes you see like really like type A guys is like, you know, in, in the spotlight a lot, which we, those guys do great, but that's not my personality. And so I always thought that that's what I had to be to be successful. Uh, yet, you know, here we were in this company that was growing like crazy at the time. And it was led by these these guys that, that weren't that, that wasn't their personality type. And um, it was more like mine. And so for me personally, I think that was what did it for me is just understanding that I didn't have to be that way and there was, and and I could be myself and still be an entrepreneur and be successful and, and um, you know, it's kind of short-sightedness on my part, you know, thinking that way, but you see, you know, working for Symantec, some of these other companies, like you, you see the leaders and like, wow, that's, that takes a strong, you know, you have to make good decisions, make them quickly and, and uh, being an engineer, we like to analyze things, right? We're not so good at making decisions quickly. We're good at, we're good at making good decisions, but so quickly sometimes is hard with that. But yeah, that, 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 you know, one of these days, I'd love to do a study of the impact Orange Soda had to the economy here in Utah because so many people after they left Orange Soda started their own companies and wow. very, you know, bigger regional companies here in the Mountain West area. Um, and and I'm sure, I'm sure it's had a huge impact. So yeah, I, I hand it to those guys, those three, for really just providing the environment that made us made me curious and then made me think, well, I could do it we always joke around that like, I, I would, I would, you know, the thought was, well, if you can do it, I can do it. And, and it's not that way. That's not the way I saw it. But in a sense, that's kind of the way I saw it is like, you know, they, they, they were encouraging about it too.
0: Man, I, I want to stay on this just a minute longer, because I know it was a big fear of mine, and still sometimes can, can contribute to the, um, you know, that, that feeling of, am I really, you know what is the what's the psychological term where they call it uh imposter syndrome Imposter syndrome yeah it can lead to the imposter syndrome because i don't have a typical entrepreneurial i wasn't selling cookies you know door to door at age five like mark cuban and you know starting all these businesses out of my backyard i was more of a begrudging uh entrepreneur meaning like i just can't find my place out here and all my dreams seem to be like i think i got a go on my own you know yeah so but I had that fear because you have a very specific type that you think is what you've got to be to be an entrepreneur and there's certainly aspects that you and I's personalities have to learn from them but I want to just encourage you know our audience is listening that isn't maybe that type A has started companies ever since they were 12 years old you know that you can still be successful what what were the things that you did find in yourself that were helpful to the entrepreneurial journey
1: so early on in my career, um, I actually learned that I could learn, I could learn how to do the job, you know? And so, um, he, I, 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 was working in banking at the time early in my career and I, I got into this role and I was like, I don't know how to do this. Right. And I had a lot, a lot of un, like fear and uncertainty. And then I learned like, oh, I'm, I, I can learn this. And so it wasn't, I always had that kind of confidence. It was more, it was more of the, um, could I lead non-engineering teams? You know, am I the right guy to do that? Um, and, and could I do, could I be a salesperson, you know, and, and have the, the Frank bluntness in my personality still be there and still make a sell. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you got to tell them all the good things, but me, I'm going to tell them like, Hey, here are the uncertain things too. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think those, those were, those are the things that I, that, that were kind of on my mind at the time, but um, we were fortunate um, to have really good connections that got us starting quickly when we started Tech9. Not quickly; it took about six months. You know, we had had our first sale within the first month, but then it took another five months before we started. You know, bringing on customers that could actually like, so we could actually pay ourselves something. Um, and so it gradually, you know, increased our confidence, my confidence. And then as we got into the sales side of things, you know, I was like, okay, I, I think I can do this. We have some examples yeah. I mean, we have a whole career we're selling. We're basically selling the skill that we built over the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. And, and so there's a lot of confidence there.
0: And what was, what was the initial sales strategy of going to market and trying to get your first customers?
1: So yeah, the, we, we started with this whole concept of, you know, let us be your fractional CTO. Um, and then we'll build a team. And, and we had a lot of connections in India and we started the process of forming a company in India um, so that we could build these teams out and, and make you know, make it affordable for companies that maybe struggled uh, forming teams or struggled retaining teams. Um, and so we really attacked that mid-market where you know it was like, they're not technology companies but they need technology in order to, to be competitive. And so that, those were the companies we focused on. So we ended up working with a lot of people like in the insurance space, even automotive space um, and, and you know, non-tech companies that, you know, we, we, we would go on LinkedIn and we'd look for people, companies that had trouble keeping like the VP of IT or the director of IT role where there was some turnover there, um, but they also employed engineers, software engineers. Um and so that's that's who we targeted, and we had some of those in our network, and we are actually able to make, uh, you know, close deals just within our network of people who who knew people that had companies like that, or were leading companies like that, or they were the leaders, um, and uh, and that gave us like for a while that worked really well until we ran out of people who could be CTOs. <laughs> Um, we also ran into some of it was like, well, have you been a CTO before? And not all of us had been CTOs before of the founding group. And so that kind of made us rethink it. And, and, and you know, there's lots of pivots along the way. Um, and then, you know, over the course of the years, we've refined that to the point that, you know, we have today kind of two real big segments that we, we serve. One is staff augmentation, which is pretty standard. Um, it's, it's an area that I didn't think we'd get into. But, you know, as our sales, as we started growing our sales team, there was lots of opportunities there. I didn't think we'd win those deals, but we ended up winning those deals and kind of comes back to like, you, when you're selling StaffOg, you're selling to the CTO and I can talk to the CTO all day, right? Like he and I, the, the he, she and I, we can have good conversations and, yeah. and really like they can see that I understand their situation and there was a lot of trust there. And then the other segment that we have, we call it full service, and, and essentially the way we market it is we are your software engineering division or team, you know, and so that that really goes back to that original core customer of like, maybe it's not a core competency for that company in software engineering, but they need it. And so we can go in and provide the full, you know, the full team and everything. Um the hard part about that is you're selling to the CEO. And so sometimes you're, you're working with people who have misconceptions around what's possible, what's not possible. And that's probably led to some of the turnover or, or maybe they've had a really terrible, team, you know, leader there. And, and that's not uncommon, you know, like enge- engineers do not always make great leaders. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's yeah. a, there's a, there's a process they have to go through in order to get there, but then there's also this communication gap as well that we have to overcome. And so, yeah, that that's, that's been kind of the the progression of how you know our company's gone from you know fractional cto to building teams to staff aug and these full service teams which is where we sit today
0: amazing and what in those first six months to a year what was the most challenging part of actually getting your those customers
1: um i you know cash flow has always been challenging but as far as getting the customers go um it was it was me i i had been I don't know if elected is the right word, but I had taken it upon myself to kind of be the salesperson and go out there. And it was really getting adjusted to reaching out to people I didn't know or asking, you know, for referrals from, from existing customers in my network. And and um, I had some pointers from some other entrepreneurs here that weren't naturally salespeople, but had become like started their company and, and kicked off everything. And so we went about two years, you know, I think we got from zero to, uh, about five million in revenue without a dedicated salesperson wow um, and uh, and and so uh, we we were really fortunate you know I, I won't count that out at all um but uh, i just forced myself every day to reach out to 10 people i didn't know you know and and not try to be salesy but really just be like hey this is what we're doing you know, you're, we think that you're in like the group that would benefit from our service, but I just love to talk to you and get your feedback on what your needs are. And, and and it was, it was genuine and true. Like I, I, if a sales opportunity arose, of course we would walk through that door, but it really was like, Hey, is this something that would be interesting to you? We see that you have some engineers and maybe there's been high turnover, um, email or or LinkedIn messages. Yeah. LinkedIn and email. Most of it was LinkedIn. We use LinkedIn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Did that,
0: did, did you get a pretty high response rate from that? Like what was.
1: Not high. Um, you know, I think, I think one out of 20 would respond and about one out of 40 would meet with me. And so that's why I knew I needed to do about 10 a day. And I was, I was also, you know, working, had, had my own clients that I was, I was managing and stuff. And so, um, but those numbers rang true and, and, you know, eventually we kind of tapped out the network that we had and it was kind of like fully saturated And and that's the point where I was like, okay, we need to bring on somebody in sales full time, you know, to, to help us figure this out. But at that, we were, we had, we were at a point where it was like, okay, we could afford somebody, um, you know, to, to pay a a salesperson to come in and and help us there.
0: But that's amazing. I mean, that's the, that's the practical advice that I love hearing when we get into the details that can help somebody when they're feeling paralyzed. Like, I don't really, I have this idea and I don't really know how to reach out or who to reach out to. And the fact that you said, I know I'm going to look for this customer and I'm going to reach out to 10 of them a day. And then you started to realize the ratio and just not be upset by it. Like whatever the ratio is, is the ratio that one out of 20 is going to respond. Well, okay. Let's keep doing that. If we can get that up to two, three, five out of 20, that's great. But in the meantime, I'm doing 10 a day and that got you to $5 million.
1: Yeah. Well, that and word of mouth. You know, I I didn't course, say that, but course, yeah, yeah, word of mouth is the best way to grow your business, and 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 certainly we benefited from that. Um, you know, it, in some cases, our biggest client at the time, which was our third client, um, the the president of that company would go to like networking events, and people would ask, you know, hey, what are you doing for engineering? And and she would be like, I I intentionally didn't tell them because I knew that you guys weren't big enough to absorb the business from them and it would probably take away from me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I told her, I was like, all right, what do we need to do to prove to you that you're going to be okay. And if you tell these people who, you know, who you who you work with and that we can help them. And and she was, she was fantastic. She helped us get into lots of work too. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really uncomfortable at times, you know, you know, being, being an engineer and definitely like introverted um, those meetings, took a lot of energy, you know, to come in and, and, uh, and, and, and spend that energy. Um, I don't mind it and I I enjoy it, but at at the end of it, you know, that drains energy from me. And, um, that was, that was difficult as well, but we made it through and then brought in Robert and he's kind of done a great job. He's done a fantastic job, you know, taking us to the next level.
0: Yeah. So in my mind, I want to stay on the revenue side for one more question. And then I'm going to switch and ask you some internal stuff, meaning like scaling, in terms of hiring and culture and that stuff but um and how did you or what if what do you think provided some of the biggest leverage that we could learn from it getting from that five million to the next level like you've tapped your you've tapped your your, your network you've got yeah. you know to do and now we've got to figure out a way to to scale beyond that what was some of the the big takeaways or the big things you guys did that, that worked
1: so yeah scaling became a problem even in that five million because even though we had these two segments that we had identified, we were doing anything, you know, with software engineering. It really kind of, um, it was hard because no, there was no cookie cutter approach, right? And so it was, it was you know, the thing that I learned and continue to relearn like every week is, is you have to decide what you're going to do and just stick to it. And so learning to say no was really hard for us, for me. And, you know, because, everyone has some sort of need around software development and and projects like project-based work. You can find that really, really quickly. Like everyone's got a project. Um, it's really hard to make money off of project work, <laughs> oh, okay. you know, where you're going in for a shorter period of time and just doing, you know, a set scope amount of work. And then, you know, that's, that's the initial engagement. Now some of those are entryways into bigger engagements for sure. And um, and you know we 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 would try to recognize those, but it, it really came down to focusing on our what we were the best at, and what we were the best at is building teams and having long term relationships with companies. Um, you know, so we we saw it as partnerships. That's how we that's how we referred to it early on, and still internally as we're looking for partners. And so um, it was it was hard saying no to everything else that would come in, especially once we started growing the sales team. Um, and, and I didn't do a good job of it and I still don't, but like from, from five to like 12 million, it was still like such a mixed basket of everything that, um, scaling became harder and harder. And then we did an offsite as the executive team one day. And I just knew, I was like, guys, we, ha- we just have to say, no, if it doesn't fit into this box, we, we can go find partners to refer them to. Like, we, we don't have to like be not helpful we can be helpful because we know other people in the space that are good at those things you know project based work or you know uh, you know data warehouses whatever it is right but for us we're only looking for people that really that they have in their PL a line an account that's for software development and it's x amount of dollars and they're okay spending that yes. that's who we're looking for because um, and there's lots of needs outside of that, of course. But, uh, you know, that was an adjustment that once I once I realized how, how much that was impacting our, biz- our business, you know, we would, I would do these little like check-ins with the operations team and be like, you know, how much time are you spending on these clients? And how much time are you spending on these clients? And we were spending 80% of our time on clients that accounted for like 10% of our revenue.
0: 80-20 rule, man. Yeah, and it, it was just like,
1: <laughs> oh, we can't do that. And they're like, well, you know they want to do version two of this. And I'm like, uh, you know, and so it, it took a while for the sales team to adjust too, because, you know, for every one full service or staff log long-term deal, you, you're going to find like 10 shorter term deals. And um, and so we've gotten progressively better at saying no and just focusing. And, yeah. um, and for me, that's hard because there's always like these shiny objects that's here and, there and everywhere. And I, I just like, I, I have to go chase them sometimes sometimes, but, um, we've like been pretty helpful, right? Yeah. Like
0: you like being helpful. And so it feels bad to be like, we technically could, I'm sure we could figure that out, but it's not smart for us to say yes to that. That's hard for me.
1: Exactly. Yep. That's, that's been the, the, the biggest challenge. And, but it was, even though you read lots of books and everyone, you know, lots of people say this, right? Like find, find your love group, you know, your North star and Dips just focus riches. on that. So it's not, it's not a unique idea in any, any, it's just hard to execute on. Um, And it's hard to say no to people, even if you know, they're not going to be a real good fit because you want to be helpful. Um, And I thought that we would experience a short period of time where our growth would, would slow down because of this, but the exact opposite was true. We grew faster Hmm. than we've ever grown, grown before whenever we just really were firm about it. And, you know, we were growing at like 40 50% year over year and then we made that decision and now it's like 80 to 100% year over year since then and it's just been crazy um, and, and it, it just proves that there is the need there and people are looking for this they might not know that that's what they're looking for but you start having enough conversations and, and you know not spending that 80% of the time with the 20 with that with that 20% yeah and, and now you're having, you know, better conversations with more target people who do fit into what we do best.
0: Well, here's what I'm curious about because there's a, a there's definitely dissenting opinions on on this and to me yeah. that just means it depends on the context. So <clears throat> it does. I don't need you to speak to for everyone always this is how it is, <laughs> but in your story, would it have been more helpful to Niche down to focus all the way at the beginning or do you think you got, you all needed to be a little more general at first and then there was a time where it was right to focus
1: um i so i i don't regret that process at all because we learned a ton you know why why we were being more general um, but there was a fear because we had left our jobs and we just we needed to put food on the table you know none of us oh, yeah. had a, a long really long runway and so um, I'm not sure that we would have grown as fast early on because we didn't have um, we didn't have the track record as a company. And so I would probably say we needed to go through that for that reason alone, as we needed yeah. to prove ourselves. You know, and there there were nights where you know Bill, our CTO, and 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 myself and and the other you know early founders, we were up late at night coding ourselves, trying to meet you know a deadline and and make sure that the customer got what they what they expected and. And um, there's a lot you learn in that process. And so, you know, if, if I had a longer runway, I think that it would have been best to just focus from the beginning. Um, we probably would have gone through less pain, but I think in that pain, there was a lot of learning. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure that we would have gotten there without that, that is the truth. I, I think that we didn't know that's what we needed to be, even yeah. though the idea was, was kind of consistent throughout how we messaged it and marketed it it changed a lot. And we, we really honed in on that over those years. So that's, that's where that?
0: I think it's kind of contextual. It's like, man, some people need to say yes to everything at the beginning for revenue, but also to even know those answers. That's right. Like, until you get in there, sometimes you don't know what the right focus is unless you had example after example. And that one went worse for us. This one went better for us. Why'd that go better for us? Why are they so happy? Why did they not happy? You know, and then yeah. the data starts to kind of slowly sort itself out. And then it's the courage, to kind of make the decision based on what you're seeing, right? Yeah, for sure.
1: Yep. That's um, exactly it. Yeah.
0: But that Pareto principle, man, like, I feel like it's almost always applicable. You know? <laughs> However you look at it. It's like 20% of your customers give you 80% of your revenue, or 20% of your customers are giving you 80% of your headache. Yeah. And you start realizing, like, wow, why are we spending so much time on these problem childs over here? And maybe we just need to help them find a better fit. This is eating up sure. a lot of our resources. Or these clients love us let's go get more of these kinds of clients. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. so on the, on the internal side, that's a whole nother journey, right? Like having to go from an engineer to a salesperson, and then you're going from an engineer to a person who's leading people and making hiring decisions and building a culture and all that kind of stuff. Um, just what was that journey? What, how has that journey been for you?
1: Um, so early on, it was, you know, internally, it, it actually was, um, I don't want to say it was easy, but it was comfortable, because I, I just was myself, you know, me and the other founders, we, we just were ourselves and and our business was 95% engineers. And as we went out and recruited and hired, that really differentiated us, you know, because they would, we would, we would interview a lot of those early people ourselves and, and they would be like, wait, you're the CEO, you're the CTO of the company and you're, you were engineers, like they could tell, you know, from the interview process. And so um, in some ways it made hiring uh, easier, (laughs) I would say, um, than if we had not been, you know, engineering focused. And then we were just, we were just 100% transparent with everyone, you know, we showed financials to the team always, um, you know, whenever we had bad times and and cash was tight, we told people that, and um, uh, we try not to make them feel scared or guilty or anything. But uh, so the, I would say, you know, the first five years, um, even though the company was growing rapidly, we were still able to know everyone's name and we knew them all personally. We made trips out to India frequently. And and so that, that part, it was fun. It was probably the best part is just building the teams and getting yeah. to know these people. And, you know, our philosophy was really senior engineer focused. And so we knew that if we hired the right team members and the right team lead, things just go really well. And, and so um, it wasn't until I would say about the beginning of last year where we really started to grow fast and then the, and scaling became a bigger issue. You know, we're, we're going from hiring probably like, Three to five people a month to like ten, and then you know over the Q Q one in this year we hired sixty, and, and so that that's been something that we're still catching I'll up test with all your processes, your <laughs> systems, and your culture. It'll test everything. Yeah, and we 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 made the decision early on to be principle based rather than policy based, and so um, you know you won't find a big book of policies here at Tech Nine. You'll find a list of principles. And it's hard when you're hiring that fast for everyone to really internalize those principles. We try to, as much as possible, choose the right person in the hiring process that you know, naturally match those principles, but um, inevitably. And, then, and now, now we're to the point where we're hiring managers that we, d- we didn't know. We don't know these people, right? And, and that's within the last 18 months that started. And, and that's even more important that they support that philosophy, they understand the principles and they live those principles. Um, and so we're, we're kind of in the middle of that right now. And, and one of the things we did is we promoted, we promoted someone to be the COO, Jason, uh, Norton, and he's done a fantastic job. He doesn't have an engineering background, but he's very familiar with working with engineers. He's more on the project management side of things. And, um, that's been huge for us, um, you know, and, and figuring out the processes and, uh we do have to implement some processes now but just keeping track of things and putting systems in place and so that's kind of where we're in the middle of right now is like shoring up our systems and making sure that information is really available to us um but that Yeah how
0: did Sorry I am just I'm interested at in the the principles versus pro, uh not processes but um what did you say Yeah principles policies policies yeah 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 where are t- talk to me about that why did you guys go that way
1: Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the way I was raised too, is my, my parents didn't have a bunch of rules, you know, they, they, they had a couple rules and then it was like, listen, we expect you to conduct yourself in in a way that's you know aligned with this and, and the other founders, Bill and, and, and Nate and Mark, like we all kind of had that upbringing and, but probably more than that is we had all worked at companies that were laden with tons of policies and we didn't like it. Like we never, we never really enjoyed those policies. So, for example, work from home, right? Um, We embraced that early on, Um, and so the policy was is like, talk with your team. Like, if your team, if if they want to be in the office together and they feel that's important, then you should probably do that. But if everyone on the team is is comfortable working remotely, then who are we to tell you that that's not the best way to do it? And so. But but some people they want to be they want to know what the rule is right like well how many days can I work from home I, mean, I don't know I like, right. talk to your team <laughs> but but then it kind of facilitates like okay now you have to be good at communicating and also like uh, uh, resolving conflicts that might exist within your team um, but we 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 expected them to be able to do that or learn how to do it and it's it's actually been they've done a fantastic job you know and we don't have any we have 130 engineers and qa engineers and and scrum masters in india we don't have any managers in india zero wow and so you know they're working offset time from us and i tell people that and sometimes it terrifies them and they think like well is is everything okay but our turnover is super low and that's one of the main reasons you know we 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 retain probably 93 percent of our our team members year over year every year and in in our industry that's pretty crazy um but it's just that trust that we give them. So trust is another principle. It's like we're going to trust you, but but we will verify if you know if fires come up, we have to verify. And so don't don't get angry if we come and say, hey, I need to verify this, right? right. But uh, the default is trust. You come in and we trust you. Like you know, we don't we don't say you have to earn our trust. We say, hey, we trust you. I so love that. um, that's helped out a lot, um, and, and I think it's more engineering friendly. I think engineers prefer that even though it is hard sometimes because we like the rules to be all spelled out for us. I think once they get it, um, they're like, oh, this is better because there really is not a box around them. You know, there's, there's no walls to break down. It's like, there are these things that guide us and we've had some of our best ideas because people are like, so this, there's no policy around this. So does that mean I can do this? And we're like, wow, that's a great idea, yeah. You, I don't see any reason why I talk to your team, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then that has become something that, you know, spread throughout the whole company and actually been super positive.
0: I love it. I mean, everything from how that impacts you as a kid being raised that way to the culture you're creating, its it creates adults. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, we, we
1: expect people to be adults and we treat them that way.
0: It creates adults. Like, I don't know. Can you get your work done and still go on vacation? If you can go like exactly. like, exactly. that is an adult way of thinking about things. Like I shouldn't have to tell you, be at your desk at this time, leave at this time. Like that's me basically saying, I don't trust you. Like I need to be able to see you and you got to follow it just this way. But the heavy lifting is on the front end. Yeah. Right. The heavy lifting is knowing how to do that in a way where the wheels don't fall off while we're learning because we don't operate that way. We normally operate in businesses or have been in structures where they're, like you said, really heavy on policy. Yeah. Um, but I think the give and take, I was just talking to a person about this today who was saying, I don't want to have to tell this person you can't leave, but they're not getting their work done. Yeah. And I said, okay. Well, you need to tell them the opportunity they have is you're trying to treat this team like adults, and so you've given them a lot of freedom. What that comes with is the accountability for the results, yes, so if you're going to give them that freedom, you should you have to be willing to step in and say, "I'm not seeing the results that are up to our standards yeah. so I, I don't want to go back to like you got to be here and I got to watch over your shoulder, but I will have the conversation what's going on like how how what do you need because this isn't working, you know yeah. But I was like, it helped her to realize like, Oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to create an adult culture here. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And so we're not going to judge the hours or like these, we're going to judge the results. And if the results are good, we're good.
1: Right. Yeah. We met uh, early on. We, so we had this marketing idea. We would, we would cyber stock target customers and we would, we we had these tech nine branded boxes and we would just put a bunch of stuff in there that was like specific to them. And we sent it out to one of these CTOs here, local in Utah and um, he didn't need our services, but he invited us to come have lunch with him. And he was super gracious. And during that lunch, we I asked him about his organization. He's like, well, everyone reports to me. I'm like, well, you're the CTO. How's that work? And he's like, yeah, we have like 130 engineers. They all report to me. And I was like, that's crazy. And he's like, listen, Nick, I tell people the first day, if they need to be managed, go be managed someplace else. Wow. And that's how it works. And, and, and so... That's a pretty tough stance. And we haven't quite said that internally, but that, that, that principle resonated with me. Like, yeah, like if, if we have people and the truth is, is once we have people where we see that they need to be managed, it's, it's kind of the beginning of the end for them, Mm. you know, Mm. Um, because it it doesn't work and it, It makes you start thinking, oh, we need a policy for this. But if you think about policies a lot, most policies are created because one person did something stupid. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. So why why punish your whole company? And, and, you know, I understand liability and stuff like that. But the, the truth is, is like every time those instances have happened, it's always been one person doing something that they shouldn't have. And really, we should just address it with that person. Like I, I used to make these announcements in, in the company meeting, like, "Hey, just so everyone knows, don't do this." And then one of our one of our lead engineers, he's like, "Nick, you don't you don't need to tell us that. You just need to tell the you, you only need to talk to the one person or the two people that did that. Yeah, the rest of us already sense. know." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "It actually comes off negative when you you make those comments in company meetings." That I was like, "Thanks for letting me know." And so we tried to manage it that way, where we're just like, "Okay, this guy screwed up." you know, most of the time they're not fireable offenses. And so that's good, but it's just like, Hey, this is, this is the learning you have to go through.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned even just the idea of management, if they need to be managed, they might not be right for this. I would say in general, the conversation I think is shifting and realizing that like the, even the idea of a manager is having to change because yeah. even Google, like what they're seeing as most effective is not a manager, but a coach. Yes, that, that whoever's the manager is just the team coach. Yep. And that person's job is to unlock the potential of the people that they're leading and to organize their efforts towards a goal, but they're not to manage. They're not to like, you know, push buttons and hang over them and check in.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's, that's the way we're going. You know, we, we, we're trying to keep the hierarchy pretty flat. And so I, I, I've never thought about it in the word coach, but I think that's a really appropriate word. Really. We're like, what's, what's the purpose of this person? It's, it's career development, making sure that they, that they're helping them, uh, removing obstacles when they're there, but, um, it's really just, yeah, coach is a great way to look at it. That that's, that's, that's going to be helpful to us. I think we're, we're figuring out how to scale that management part and stay, you know, as flat as possible, um, And, uh, you know, this principle is super important to that. We don't, we don't want to have, you know, a bunch of managers and the engineers don't either, you know, like we talked, we talked to the team and they, they love it. They love the fact that there's no one like looking to see when they come on Slack in the morning. Right. Exactly. (laughs)
0: The idea, I think the idea of a coach, even the language change, it changes the relationship in their mind of them with that person. Yeah. Instead of this is the person I've got to prove something to, or. You know watch out for because they're watching me it's like oh no this is the one that's just organizing us and yeah. this is this is the one that's helping us succeed like they're an asset or like a, they are an asset to me you know yeah. um that's how i think the culture is moving and where managers could be reinvented for man my my, my my job is just to help us win that's it yeah. and to help understand what your strengths are and make sure they're being brought to the table understand what you're getting tripped up by and see if i can't help you get over those things. And that's it. I'm not here to like judge you or, you know, you know make you felt the TPS reports and you know, <laughs> go line by line. Kind of thing, yeah, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. That uh, I'm glad to see things going that direction. It, it, it's, it's a little hard without a template to follow. And so I think there are a lot of people blazing the trail right now, but you know, thank heavens for the internet and bloggers and people like you, you know, sharing this message because that's yeah. where we learn from um but it, i i agree i think in the next you know five years you're going to see a lot different you know kind of organizational structures i, I hope so at least you know we're yeah. we're trying to do that here and we're learning as we go and um fighting the fighting the uh urges to to be more hierarchical and, and that's what we want to be as we want to be have you know?
0: read um oh, i'm so glad i'm asking this question because i want to ask you sometimes i forget to ask books um have you read uh, Let My People Surf by Ivan Schad?
1: Not yet, no. It's on the list.
0: Okay. I think you'd like it just as as an example like of it won't be the same as what you're building, but a very similar philosophy that okay. when he was building Patagonia, he from the beginning he was like I want a self-reliant culture. Like yeah. I want people to not be micromanaged. So the idea of Let My People Surf was he would tell them, "If you look out the window and it's great surf out there, go surfing." But then there was the logistical challenges at the beginning of, well, they all went surfing and nobody was fulfilling <laughs> the orders, right? But he didn't give up on the vision. He was like, I just gotta figure it out. Yeah. There is gonna be a way where we can be people can be free and can have balance and can be trusting each other. So I think you'd like that book. Okay. Um, but now I wanna turn the question around on you. Are there any books that you've read, It and it can be business or not business, but any books in particular that you've, you've really uh, recommended to other people or just made an impact on you?
1: Um, So, you know, recently, I think um, Give and Take has been like the book that's left the biggest impression on me. And that's probably because it helped me figure myself out the best. Um, But it also I I loved the message. And, you know, I I love like Malcolm Gladwell books, like the the researchers that go in and they do research and they show you like this is why this is true. Yeah. Um, And so because of that, you know, Adam Grant's books are great, too um but uh, give and take is one that i that uh I, i've read several times and each time i read it i'm like oh man i find myself like being that person that doesn't ask for help and doesn't reach out and is um, that the
0: book about the different personalities that some are more givers some are more takers and which one succeed or is that, which is that what the about winners, yeah yeah okay. yeah
1: so they, I, you know at a high level they found that uh the people who succeed though like if you're going from levels of success the givers that never ask for help usually are the, le- the least successful, the takers then, and then the givers that know how to ask for help. Um, mm. Sorry, Adam, if I mess that up, but that's, that's, that's roughly Makes how it sense. goes. Um, and so a lot of people who are givers struggle asking for help. And, and that was something that I, that I really struggled with. And we have a whole company, like I would say, our company is full of givers. And we have some givers that you know, struggle asking for help too. And so we've, I've tried to disseminate that message amongst the company, but yeah, that, that one's been really good. You know, rework was a big one for us early on, yeah. even though we were a technology services company, just trying to keep things as we were really trying to hone in on our, you know, what, what our, what our offering was rework. I think we read that several times as a management team and, the, and that one's been great. Um, so those are the two that, you know, kind of uh, I go back to a lot. Um I I read a lot of technical books. I'm in the middle of like blockchain and web 3.0 stuff right now. And so a lot of my time is just consuming that kind of uh, material online. But, uh, but yeah, that's, I need to read more books.
0: (laughs) Oh, don't we all? (laughs) Or at least we feel we do. Yeah. I've, 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 I've taken pressure off myself, man. I read when I know I need to, when there's something in particular that I need to find an answer to, or, you know, uh and then the rest you just learn from your life and you know don't put that's too much right. pressure on it so all right let me ask you this is there anything right now that you're personally passionate about uh, or currently passionate about that you think would help someone either accelerate the growth of their business or just accelerate the growth they're experiencing as an individual
1: um so i i think it goes back then to like the, the hyper focus and prioritization you know that's that's been something that every time I'm good at that, just the results are good personally and and professionally. And so I find, you know, it's hard to be consistent in those principles of of staying hyper-focused on what, you know, what your core offering is and and then, you know, making sure that your priorities reflect that. Um, And so I just continue to be shocked about how much that's helped us, not only our in our growth you know to continue our revenue growth but it's been super critical in our profitability as well you know like which you know we didn't get into cash flow and that's a whole other like podcast all by itself of like how do you grow a company that won't get vc investment you know (laughs) what money's out there how do you get it are you really okay paying these rates that some people are charging but um you know that as we've kind of hyper focused we've seen our profitability increase, which has helped us like provide the buffer that we need to reinvest in the business, but also have the working capital we need, you know, to handle the growth that we're going through. So yeah, that, that's that's where I'm trying to stay focused on right now is staying focused yeah. on being focused. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's helpful to You know, if you don't know what that area of focus is yet and you're not actively looking for it, that I think that that's where you need to be spending more time.
0: Are there any helpful filters or processes that help you decide what to focus on? Like if you're starting, like, yeah, we, I know I need to focus. Is there any, was there any guiding principles? Like, well, we want to see which ones have the biggest ROI or most aligned yeah. with our values, or what were some of the filters that helped you decide what well, to
1: focus so on? So data is key, you know, and, and earlier on it was harder to do that because we didn't have as much data, but as, as we've grown, you know, the financial data, uh, it there, there are two data points we look at. One is, you know, how do we spend our time? That's a little bit more anecdotal than I'd like it to be, but I don't want to have people go through the exercise of like categorizing their time logs in order for me to get it that way, to get it to the point. But we took the financial data last year and really started slicing it in ways that show us what our best, financially, our best customers are. And, and lo and behold, the best financial customers are also the ones that love us the most and we love the most. <laughs> wow. And so it just makes it, it it's a super common sense. It's just, it, it's not emotional at all. It's just like, this just makes common sense. You wow. Know? And that's so that, a that's, a good, that's a relief though,
0: when you see that. Oh yeah. The best <laughs> customer is the one that you like the most. You know, so we of, love like, all, all of our customers, own. but you know, like. But in terms of ease of working with and their, yeah. and their rate of satisfaction and all yes. that kind of stuff. Like as a business owner, like that matters to me. I don't want just the money. I want to know you're like pumped with the product that yes. you you know, you really love it and you believe in it. Otherwise I feel like that's not a good fit then. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's Uh, all about fit. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So then the last question on that would just be, uh, what do you do if you start to feel a lack of focus, maybe even personally, like you've got your own calendar, you've got things, you know, you need to be hyper-focused on, but things are pulling at you all the time. Have you found anything helpful to, to systematize or bring you back to focus?
1: So for me, it's about the people around me really. Um, You know, I, 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 I do, you know, evaluate my calendar and and try to like make sure it's aligned with my focus. But um, everyone, everyone in your family and in you know, in my case, in my family and in my you know the leadership team, they need to know what those areas are. And so I I, re- I rely a lot on them. You know, I I'm. I'm blessed to be in, you know, my wife and kids are good. And then our our leadership team is really good about I'm kind of the guy that wanders the most, you know, those guys are good at like staying focused. I've got the, I've got the uh, attention deficit disorder more than they do. And, and so I, I, I'm grateful that I have those people around me, but it's also something that I knew at a certain point I needed, like I couldn't surround myself with a bunch of other, you know, shiny object distraction prone people (laughs) because uh, I was that guy and so they bring me back a lot you know and so uh, we've also done things internally where we we set off separate time for creative brainstorming. And so there has to be an outlet for that. You can't just say don't do that exactly you have to do that because that's where the next idea probably comes from you know yeah. um, And so that's been really helpful for me to know that like okay I've got this idea but our brainstorming meetings next week and so I'm gonna document it. And I know that I'm going to have a way to out, out, have that outlet, but I don't want to distract everyone today with a, you know, a Slack message, you know, yeah. Hey, what about this idea? You know, and I used to do that. Like, it was like, you know, some of the project managers really on would, would kind of like uh, make fun of me a little bit, you know, all, all in good fun. Right. But they would say, Nick, you could just get distracted so easily because there was always something new and, and, and I've had to rein that in. But as long as there's an outlet for it, I think that, that that's healthy. You need that. Um, you can't just squash it, but uh, try to try to form a framework around it, I guess.
0: Uh, man, you're describing one of the biggest realizations I had probably in the last three years because yeah. I found that I would I would either get so locked in or feel the need to get so locked in that some part of me would start to lose touch with the vision and start to lose touch with the future, or yeah. I was too undisciplined. In any moment, I would take my eye off the ball and just start dreaming, Yep. And it felt like an all—it felt like an all-or-nothing thing until someone like you was like, "Well, why don't no? Let's just create a space for that. That's going to be during our quarterly planning, or that's going to be during this time, and then put your head down and try to stay focused. But then we can drink. Like knowing that I just like you said, knowing I had that time coming, allowed me to just be present. And I'll still like I'll still like yeah. jot the note the note down because I want to remember, you know, what the thing is I wanted to think more about um but man that was so helpful I'm also ADD you know like <laughs> yeah. I just had my doctor I was telling him some issues and she was like can you take this test real quick this like self-reported test and I was like sure yeah. I scored off the charts ADHD she's yeah. like yeah very much untreated <laughs> ADD <laughs> I'm like is that why I'm tired all the time and I can't focus and all this kind of stuff she's like yeah, Probably, um, yeah. <laughs> but the fun part is not knowing that till now. I've also developed a whole lot of skills around me that have compensated for a lot of that, sure. you know, yep. uh, it's kind we of the gift of it.
1: Learn to live with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, my friend, let me get you to the lightning round questions and then I'll let you get back to your day. Awesome. So, number one, these are just quick questions with quick answers. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, almost like a billboard in the office what would that message be?
1: It would be tech happily. You know, that's our motto. Like we want people to be happy and, and that's that's what we focus on as happy happy team members.
0: Love it. All right, number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and also what was the worst?
1: Um, the best advice centered around focus. Like I had, one of my mentors told me early on, he's like, you got to focus. You got to find your, your North Star and follow it. And so uh, it took me a while to, uh, to figure that out um, The worst advice, you know. I thought about this. I don't know. Like, I don't think I've gotten a lot of work. You know, most of the advice I, I've gotten has been good and helpful. Good. So I don't have anything there.
0: Cool. Well, we put it out there just in case there's a hilarious story. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there are some. Yeah. Right. Number three. What currently causes you the most stress or worry leading the organization?
1: Um. So it's it's kind of shifted from cash flow to scaling. Um. You know, cash flow early on. I would say the first six years of the company that was what kept me up and woke me up in the middle of the night. Right. And then it's just knowing that making sure that it, all the employees uh, are taken care of, you know, I'm not worried about them doing their job, but I want, I'm worried that they're, they're heard and they, they feel cared for, um, you know, whenever, whenever we were hundred people total, it wasn't hard to do that by myself just over the course of six months now it's harder. And so that's, yeah. that, that's what worries me the most right now.
0: Totally makes sense. All right, number four, what is your BHAG? Your big, hairy, audacious goal for Tech Nine.
1: So our B is uh, I mentioned earlier we we refer to our clients as partners. And so there's a certain mold internally, like their criteria that you know people we want people to meet in order for us to classify them as partners. And so uh, today we have 32 and we're trying to get to 140 by the end of 2025.
0: Cool. Heck yeah. That's very yeah. clear. I like that. Yeah. All right. Number five, a little break from the business questions. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past, and deliver one message to your younger self. When would you go back and what message would you, would you give to yourself?
1: So I I thought about this, and actually, it always goes down the financial route. Like, hey, buy Amazon. You know, going buy Tesla
0: now. Buy
1: Tesla now, or or start mining Bitcoin. You're gonna figure, you know, like uh, it's so uh, that's that's kind of what comes to mind first, just because of the financial you know impact that might have. Um, But uh, you know, I'd I'd probably go to myself about the eighth grade and, and and tell myself that like you're way better than you think you are. you know, without sounding arrogant, but uh, I've struggled with confidence throughout my life and, and not feeling like I was good enough or, or, you know, could do certain things. And I would have just say like, you're, you're better than you, you think you are, you know, be confident. Let's go.
0: let's go. Uh, I'm the same way, man. Uh, That's, that's where my head always goes when I play that question. Like you didn't have to worry so much. You didn't have to feel that way. Like you're going to be fine. You're more capable than you think you are, right? Exactly, yeah. Awesome. Nick, this has been such a great interview. Thank you so much for giving us your time, telling us your story, and sharing your wisdom with us. It's been really
1: valuable. You bet. Thank you, Drew. I really appreciate it. It It was fun for me as well.
0: Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.